Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Well, we are in section number six, actually week six of uh, this at least eight-week journey that we've been on, Breaking Free Ministry Team Training. Um, Just to those who may be joining maybe first time, uh, I provided a copy of the Breaking Free book to everyone who was here that first couple of nights before we got locked down. We also have the Ministry Team Training Manual that we've been taking each of the modules from. And then I've had probably 35 some odd books of those who are forerunners. Uh, The purpose, if you remember from the first night, the uh, Global River Church Ministry Team Training, the purpose of this is out of Ephesians 4.12. We are to equip the saints for the works of ministry. And so that's what we're doing as fivefold ministry leads. And I shared really basically this storyline, this book, is a love story and it's a war story. We're starting to get into the meat and potatoes of uh, where we are, and we're really shifting towards the war side of this, equipping the saints for war. He says, he trains my hands for war. And so, Lord, I thank you that we're equipped. We know that we're in a war. Remember uh, from that first uh, couple of nights, the book of Revelation chapter 12 says that the devil has declared war against all those who have the testimony of Jesus and keep the commandments. So we're in this war zone, but we're going to take the war to the enemy. Jesus said in 1 John 3, 8, he says that John said this about Jesus, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. In John 10, 10, he says that he had come to give life in all of its fullness and in abundance, and uh, the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But we also know from John 14, Jesus said, I go to the Father, and greater work shall you do, because I go to the Father. So this is all of our equipping. We saw that in uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, the Great Commission, which is not a great suggestion. It is a commissioning to the soldiers of Christ, those who belong to Him, that you would go. These signs would follow them that believe, not only bring that to the whole world, the testimony of Jesus, all that would confess him would be saved and all those who deny him would be lost. But then he said these signs would follow. The first one listed is cast out demons in my name. Be able to handle deadly things without harm. Be able to lay their hands on the sick and they would recover. And at the end of that chapter, Mark 16, deals with it says the Lord co-labored with them. Some of the translations said worked with them, signs following and validated that the message that they brought was true. And so we're now into this place where we're really uh, coming in. We've looked at, if you look at all the modules that we've covered now, pray that you're doing the the reading. Stay, Stay caught up on the reading. I realize there's a lot, but we have now covered in the ministry manual, we covered the expectations of a ministry team person. What were the guidelines for prayer? We looked at the full gospel of Jesus. When Jesus died, he paid for salvation, healing, and deliverance. We looked at that. We looked at the basis, the biblical basis of that. And then we looked at the salvation model. We looked at the healing model. We looked at the the, um, words of knowledge. What is some of we taught last week on the words of knowledge? What are they? We're about ready to enter in. We looked again at the healing model. And then tonight, we're going to look at module 10. What are some of the hindrances to healing? And then what is a curse? We're going to go into some detail on that. Um, The reading materials, you should be through on that reading assignment that we handed out in our 
first week. We've now read the book of Ephesians one week. Week two was the book of Philippians. Week three was Colossians. Week four was 1 Timothy, and you should have finished 2 Timothy. This week we'll be reading into Titus, three chapters of the book of Titus, then the book of James in week seven, and we'll look at the final book, the first John. Now you might say, well, Pastor, why, why all the book reading uh, scripturally around these books? There's a strategic reason for this. Remember, the first night I said that you need to understand who you are in Christ. Your identity is paramount especially when you come into the war zone. You need to know who you are, and you need to know whose you are, right? And so that identity, and what happens, you're going to see, like reading second, the Second Timothy this week again riveted my soul. When you look at it, it's a, there's a strategic uh, informational understanding and revelation that comes out. And when you read a whole book captured by the apostle or the reader, the, the writer, the author of that book, you capture the essence of identity in Christ, what their purpose was, the challenges they were going through, the victories they were seeing, the frustrations they were battling. And so there's something that it just brings that whole revelation of where we are. And so please, please do the reading. Uh, it's important. You also should get through the reading of my book, uh, Breaking Free. There's uh, lots of testimonies in here. We're about to shift in the next couple of weeks towards the destiny model that we have now done thousands of ministry deliverance um, of this type model um, in large settings, probably as many as 4,000 at one time in Tanzania, um, and then individually. But we've done thousands and thousands. We've been able to transfer that training and equipping model. And so if you'll follow this destiny model that's, that's in the back of the Breaking Free book, you will find that you're able to find help for people. You'll be able to help them without hurting them, and you'll also not get hurt yourself. And so we've been in some really, really dark places. People under blood sacrifices have come to kill us. None of that ever happened. In fact, we wielded the sword, and there's just great testimonies in here of what's that. What's that. I'm going to share some of this tonight as well. And so Getting into the favorite part of what I think is the meat and potatoes of this, of uh, the, the war side of where we're going. All right, well, let me ask you to shift. Let's turn to 2 Timothy. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. I want to summarize uh, several of the items that fall out of these four chapters. This book actually is known as Paul's Last Will and Testament. In fact, you'll read in, in chapter 4, he knows that his death is near. At this point, he is in prison, in the Mamertine prison in Rome. This is not a happy place. In fact, you want to look that up sometime. Go look at the historical account of that Roman prison. There's accounts, both Paul and, and Peter at that point were imprisoned by Nero. Nero was killing Christians throughout Rome, throughout the globe. Um, the Roman Empire at that point had not shifted to Christianity. Nero, within one year of the writing of this book by Paul, Nero's dead. So we know that it's somewhere around 66, 67 A.D. This book is written, and you'll notice that it's a, it's, this book is real. If you get into the spirit of this, Paul is now writing to his spirit. I'm getting electrified right now. Holy Spirit is just kind of agreeing with this. You will see the, the spiritual fatherhood of Paul translating to his son. He realizes he's about to be beheaded. He's going to die. He tells us that in chapter 4. 
And he's now translating this to the next generation of leadership, Timothy, who becomes the pastor at the church at Ephesus. And he's telling his spiritual son the important things. You'll see underlying in this message is that there are people that are turning away from the truth. They're being deceived. But he's telling his son to persevere, to stay in it, to stay in the fight. This is so critical of what the, the apostle is doing right now. And so, Lord, we see this, that the encouragement from this father, the danger that's involved, the responsibility that is upon Timothy and the other leaders. You'll see this in Titus as well next week when you read that. The perseverance, but also the disappointment, the abandonment of those who had been with Paul, who are now turning away, probably when they witness what's going on inside the prison, and they realize that the death notice is coming. They abandoned, several abandoned him. And Paul writes that. His heart is broken. He's also had to deal with apostates. He's, he's thrown people out of the church who are sharing things that are not the truth. And he's encouraging Timothy. He'll encourage Titus the same way. You'll see this. It's a, it's a gut-wrenching revelation. But it's also, Paul will say, I have finished my course. I've run the race. And I've remained faithful. And he's handing the baton off to his spiritual sons. And so... It's really an, an amazing testimony. So let's look at some of that in, uh, let's turn to chapter 1 out of the New Living Translation, and let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 and 2, we see here, he says, I've been sent out to tell others the life that he has promised to us. I have been sent to tell the others. See that? And then in verse 2, he says, I'm writing. We know who this is. He's writing to Timothy, his dear son. This is his spiritual son. My God, the Father of Jesus Christ, our Lord, give you grace and mercy and peace. Basically, son, you're going to need it <laughs> based on what's coming. And then let's drop down to verse 7. This is a, a famous. Well, let's look actually, uh, look at verse 5 for a moment. Look at the legacy of his faith. He reminds Timothy that his mother and his grandmother, they were the foundation of Timothy's faith. This is that generational blessing that many of us have experienced. I have a, a spiritual mom that's been a faithful warrior for years and years and years. And so we, we, we inherit that legacy. But even if you are the first in your generation, you start the legacy, praise God. But he's reminding him of his, the depths of where he's come from. And then he says in verse 6, I want to remind you to fan the flames of the spiritual gift, right? The spiritual gift that was given to you when I laid hands on. This is the impartation that we see so powerfully, right? This is the impartation of that gift. He's reminding you, Timothy, don't lose heart. Fan the flame. Remember what we said prophetically when we laid hands on you, when the elders commissioned you, right? And then he tells him, don't be afraid, Many opportunities for fear. I'm sure at this point Paul was wrestling. He was probably preaching to himself here, recognizing what's coming. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Well, if God didn't give you a spirit of fear, then who did? We know who did, right? The joker, right? The one who's come to kill, steal, and destroy. There's godly fear, but then there's this irrational fear. I recently did a, a deliverance with someone, and they were dealing, struggling with this whole fear 
Well, right now there's a blanket of fear that the enemy's trying to drop over the nation. Some of it is legitimate. You know, we need to have a godly fear. We need to uh, follow what the guidelines have been doing. We're washing our hands and keeping our distance and limiting the numbers. We're doing what the government has asked us to do because they have not told us to violate any scriptural things at this point. So therefore, we are sticking with that and we're covering and following the Romans 13, covering what our leadership tells us. You'll see that also in the book of Titus. Listen to the government authorities. Now, if they tell us to do something anti-Scripture, we'll be, I'll be the first that says we're not doing that. But that's not where we are, I don't believe, right now. So this spirit of fear has not come. It says, but power, love, self-discipline. I like a sound mind. The, the King James says a sound mind. And so I just thank the Lord that God has not given us that fear, power, love, and a soundness of our mind. That fits well in the spiritual warfare context. Remember 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 6. The weapons that we fight with are not carnal, not fleshly, but they're mighty to the pulling down of demonic strongholds, taking every thought captive. That's coinciding with Paul writes in Corinthians. He writes it here to Timothy. Timothy, you're going to have to have strength of mind, power and love that operates here. Let's look also um, in verse 8 and 9. 1 Timothy, there's no shame. Be ready to suffer. No, no shame. Don't be ashamed to tell others. Be bold. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, Paul tells us. Even though he's in prison, the strength that God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. Man, if that message, if you listen, if you haven't, go ahead and go online. Go to our website. Go online and get Bishop Funcho's message from Sunday, that the Word became flesh. But underlying that was the Lord is coming back. I've heard it several times from different preachers this week in various places, that God is coming back for a bride that has no spot or wrinkle. It's time to work out all of our stuff, deal with our stuff, the hidden sins, become those that are seeking holiness and righteousness in His namesake. He's coming back for a bride. In Revelation 19, it says, He's coming back for a bride who's made herself ready. See that in Revelation 19. Made herself ready by the good deeds. The garment she wears is actually the cleansing of the garment are the good deeds done by the, the church of Christ. Holiness and righteousness. Remember in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And everything you need will be added. Just is this these warfare premise principles that need to be grounded in who we are. But we gotta pick up and we gotta fight. I've been battling with some people this week on the phone. They're struggling with hidden sins, the the tormentor, the seducing spirits that come in for drugs or alcohol or pornography or bitterness or resentment. Man, we gotta get past all that. Come on. It's time to rise up, take out the sword, cut the snake's head off, and let's move into righteousness and holiness together. God is coming back for a bride that is, he sees as ready. But then he tells us in verse 14, carefully guard. Though the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you and me. He's speaking to his son, but this is, again, these are the stories of a father saying, I'm about ready to finish my course. i got to give you the baton. And then he says, and then he goes on, he warns us, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me. And then he lists Phygelus and Hermogenes. 
May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and his family. They visited, encouraged, they searched for me even when I was in chains. So there's this accounting of those who abandon, those who don't keep the course, those who are apostates teaching things that are not true. But then there's those that are standing with him. He says, carefully, Timothy, guard this. And let's look at chapter 2. Verse 1, he says, be strong. You have seen me teach as a reliable witness, right? And so we see in that second chapter of verse 1, be strong. You have seen me teach. Wow. You have seen me teach these things, and I'm, they are reliable in my witness. Now you, in verse 2, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, now teach these truths to other reliable witnesses who are able then to pass it on. So you've heard me. It's witnessed these truths. Teach them to other trustworthy people. Why? Because just like us who now have this truth in us, we are now entrusted with those truths to pass those truths on. Now teach these truths and pass them on. But recognize, endure the suffering along that comes with this. And now he talks about soldiering. This is the soldiering on part. We see this, that um, endure the suffering, verse 3, as a good soldier. And then he gives several examples here. One, he says, a soldier doesn't get tied up in civilian life. So you're enlisted in the army of God. Stop getting tied up in civilian affairs. The things that are not valuable, they depart from the soldier's view or vision. But then he talks of a farmer. The hardworking farmer enjoys the fruit. But he also deals with athletes. who got, you got to follow the rules. If you want to get the prize, athletes cannot. That's in verse 5. He says, athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Are you following the rules of the book? The righteous rules of the book, the, the commandments, the moral law. Got to follow the rules. But he gives examples there. Soldier on. The farmer who works hard will be the first to taste the fruit of the labor. But remember, there are rules to this in the game of life here that, we're, that he's encouraging his son. Then in every one of his books now, he deals with verse 8. Christ was raised from the dead. So we see, always remember, this is a foundational principle. Our authority comes from the fact that Jesus Christ, this descendant of the King of David, raised from the dead, and this is the good news that we preach. This is that cornerstone foundational principle that all of our authority comes from him. Verse 9, he says, we preach this good news. I'm suffering here. I am suffering, and I have been chained like a criminal. Now, some say that in the Merrimine prison, there was this lower chamber. In fact, I'm told through accounts of books I've read, many went stark raving mad. They would chain them in an upright position to those locations. But Paul would sing praises. There's accounts of him leading his jailers to Christ. So this is a powerful testimony. But here he is writing this testimony of his, to his son in the midst of, I'm here and I'm chained like a criminal. And I'm willing to endure anything to bring salvation and eternal glory to Christ to those who God has chosen. And so this is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we shall also live with him. 2 Timothy 2.11. We endure this hardship. We reign with him and we will also remain faithful 
We cannot deny who he is. What a powerful, are you getting this? This is his last will and testament. He realizes the curtain is coming down. But then he does some warning. Let's look at, um, he gives them this basic, don't deny him, we'll reign with him, right? But look at verse 14. Verse 14 and 15 of chapter 2. There must have been some arguments going on, these worthless arguments. And he says, stop it. Would you stop all the arguing of useless things, these things you're, you're, you're causing division about? It's useless. It's going to ruin you. You see that? He says, it can ruin those who hear them. Stop it. Instead, verse 15, he says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker. Are you a complainer? I hope not. Praise God, we have so many amazing volunteers. But there's this thing that this is really not about us. I te- remember one of the first things we looked at when we, we started this was Jesus had a towel. So get your towel and serve, right? Wash feet. And so sometimes when you're dealing with the public and those that are broken, those who are addicted, those who don't have much, they, they can be cranky. Paul is basically encouraging his son Timothy when you work hard with people that are having difficulty, keep your patience, keep your heart. Work hard as a good worker. Correctly explain the truth. But all this worthless, godless behavior and talk, it's like a cancer. And then he, he calls out um, two people, Hymenaeus and Philetus, false teachers. He says, these two, this kind of talk spreads like a cancer. So if there's gossip going around in your family, in your church, in your workplace, even about the government, this thing's, hey, it's not perfect. There is no perfect system. You know that. I know that. But this thing about are you part of the problem or are you praying for the solution? So let's pray. Let's become, what he's saying is, look, there are two characters here in this 2 Timothy 17. This talk is spreading like cancer. In fact, they left the path of truth. We also saw them also listed in 1 Timothy 1.20. They've turned away, and, and what he said there in 1 Timothy 1.20 is they're blasphemous. He says, I've turned them over to Satan. Basically, he kicked them out of the church for their blasphemous teaching, and they're running off of their mouth. He put them outside the church, and he turned them over to Satan. Now, that's church discipline. Oh, that doesn't sound very loving, Pastor. Hey, uh, guess what? There are things that sometimes the hammer's got to go down. And uh, we cannot compromise. Now, do we give, tr- we give peace? We give grace? Sure. We give opportunity? Yes. But there's a time when it says enough is enough. And so Paul is telling his son, look, you're going to have to be, you're young. Remember he said, don't let them say you're too young, Timothy. When a lo- young leader who's not had some scars of, of the battles, um, maybe you're leaning too much on the grace side. I'm not saying that that's not a good thing, but there are times when, look, there's times when people need to be put in correction. We saw that also in the book of Corinthians, right? And so let's turn now to um, 2 Timothy verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19. The Lord knows who are His. I love this scripture. God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, quote, the Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. 
In a wealthy home, there's some utensils. He uses an example here again. He uses the utensils that are gold and silver for they're the precious ones. And then there's the ones that are for common use. However we find ourselves, there's times when we're serving in that place of bringing the trash out, cleaning up, and then there's times when we're serving in places of honor. He always told us, right, don't come to the front, sit in the back, and be invited to the front. Those are all part of the principles of ministry team training. And so he goes on and he says in verse 22, run from anything that stimulates. Listen to this. Anything that stimulates youthful lust. That's a good message. I'm speaking to all of us right now. These things that sometimes come across us. Be aware of seducing spirits. Be aware of things that entice. Be aware of that, that thing that's trying to bring you. He's telling his, his young son, just Timothy, run away from youthful lust. Instead, what do you do, son? Pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy companionship of those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Boy, you hang out. Remember a rotten apple in the bunch spoils the whole group? You've heard that one, right? So there's something about banding together with people of like faith, encouraging one another. We had our uh, intercessory call this morning. We do that at 9.15 by, by conference call now on Wednesdays. Man, I am just inspired by those. The things that were coming in, it's, the, it's that corporate gathering of prayer, praying for the nation, praying for individuals, praying for the government. Pray, it's, just, you know, it's just amazing what God does when you come together with people with pure hearts, with a purpose to join together. And then he says, verse 23, again I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that start fights. Man, I've been in church a long time and uh, in many different churches. If we could just get that one, just, you know, that James 3 scripture, control your tongue, don't pick up, don't take the offense, don't take the bait. We did that whole bait of Satan teaching from John Bevere. It's just really good. He hammers it over and over again because there's something going on in the churches that Paul knew this could derail the, 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 the growth of the church. And then he goes on, he says, um, in verse 24, don't quarrel. Be a servant, not quarreling. Be kind to everyone. You can underline that. Kind to everyone. Man, that's just hard. Be able to teach. Be patient with difficult people. Amen. We've had some of those even this week. Praise the living God. And so it's a test of the fruit of the Spirit. And we, we kid each other. It says, how's your fruit doing? Well, might be a little bruised right now. But Lord, thank you. We're, we're pursuing that. We want the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, mercy, self-control. We saw that a couple weeks back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And enjoy that companionship. Um, so, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Gently instruct those. Sometimes in our different small groups, we get into debates or the discussions around principles. And sometimes they can get pretty, you know, found you just get dug in. He's saying, look, settle down. Um, let's, let's instruct each other gently and let's pursue truth instead of letting pride or arrogance get in the way. I know the truth, and you've heard this said, is some people love to tell the truth. There's something different about telling the truth in love. Amen? So let's, uh, you know, we, we want the truth to be told, but let's tell it in, tell it in love. You're going you're gonna to win more that way than, 
than uh, demanding compliance. But we won't compromise either. So, you know, this. Uh... Now, I want to read this whole chapter in chapter 3. This is so, I think, powerful in the warfare of where we are. Man, if, you know, Amos says, Amos chapter 3 says, the Lord doesn't do anything. He doesn't first tell the prophets. The prophets are screaming all over the place about what's coming, that we're coming closer to the end. And so Paul warns his spiritual son what would be some of the dangers. He did that. Remember we saw it in 1 Timothy. But now he picks up again, writes this letter a couple years later, his last letter, and he says the dangers of the last days. So let me call up chapter 3, verse 1. And so we see this, that you should know this, Timothy. He says, I want you to know this. You should know, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very, you might want to underline, very difficult times. I don't know what he had in mind or what he saw. For people will love only themselves. They'll love their money. They'll be boastful, prideful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. Man, when you look at some of the stuff that's on the internet that is degrading and mocking Christ, it just sickens and makes me angry. They'll be, this, they'll be unloving and unforgiving, slanderous, slandering others, have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They'll act religious, but they'll reject the very power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that, Timothy. They're the kind that, then he goes on, he, he, walks, he walks this line about those who position themselves, get into other houses. This is a, there's an immoral side to this. These are the kind that work their way into people's homes. They win the confidence of vulnerable women, burdened with guilt and sin, controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they're never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth that is just as, now he deals here with Janus and Jambres. If you remember from Moses, these were the two magicians when Moses approached Pharaoh. These were the two that were able to do, and this is important from a witchcraft point of view. Remember the John Ramirez teaching, the power that Satan has power, just doesn't have power over the blood-bought believer. We saw that in spades, right? So he says, here's the Janus and Jambres. They were the Pharaoh's magicians. And if you remember in the first several plagues, one, when, when Moses throws his staff down and it turns into a snake, these two magicians, they take two staffs and they turn into two snakes. They could pursue with power, signs, and wonders. Of course, Moses' snake swallows theirs, trumps the devil, Right? They also do the, the blood, they put the, they, they're able to manufacture the blood in the water, and then also the frogs, I believe was that third. And yet, after that, as the plagues go higher, God is in charge, and they no longer, Satan's power is limited. He has power, remember that, he has power, he just doesn't have power over me or you unless you give it to him. And we've exercised that, we want to understand that as we move forward. So let's go on, it says, they de they're depraved minds and they have counterfeit faith. He's saying those who have weaseled their way and are not telling the truth. But you, Timothy, verse 10, certainly know that what I teach and, what, and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, you know my patience, you know my love, and you know my endurance. 
powerful, right? He says, then he goes on, he says, in verse 11, you know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all that I, and how I've been persecuted, both in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, right? He was stoned there. He was, riots broke out. They actually left him for dead one place. Many say he was dead. And yet, so Timothy was aware. You know how much I want. Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. But evil people, these evil people, these imposters, they'll flourish. They'll deceive others, but they themselves are deceived. But you, Timothy, remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You see the overriding emphasis again and again. Persevere. Remain faithful. Watch out for these characters. Do Stay the faith. Stay strong. Keep the gifting operating. Remember what happened. Don't be afraid. Don't be timid. You've got a sound mind, power, love. You see what the Father's doing here. He's hammering this to us. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ. I love this scripture. Second, this is one of those 2 Timothy 3.16s, right? Here's another 3.16 scripture. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us what to do is right. God uses it to prepare us and equip his people to every good work. Wow, that's just amazing Amazing chapter three. So he warns us what it's going to be like, what's going to happen, and then he says, stay the course. Get in your word. Know the truth. This scripture is full of living power, right? And he finishes in chapter four. He goes, he says, I urge you, I solemnly charge you, this urging, right, in verse one. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus Someday who will judge the living and the dead. Here it is. This is, this is the, the, the great white throne judgment discussion, the living and the dead. And it says he will come to set up his kingdom. Preach the word. Whether it's favorable or not, Timothy, be prepared, but preach it. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people. Encourage your people with good teaching, Timothy. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Well, I think we're in that day. It is ugly, some of the stuff that's being taught and preached and believed. And They'll follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them what they want their itching ears to hear. You hear the deception in that one. They're going to reject the truth, and they're going to chase after myths. There are tons of myths out there today. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid to suffer. Here we are again suffering, work it hard at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And that prize is not just for me. It's all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Timothy, please, come as soon as you can. Then he goes on, you hear the breaking heart here. 
Demas has deserted me. He loves the things of this life. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is here. Dr. Luke is here with me. Bring Mark when you come. He'll be helpful for me in my ministry. Then he sends Tychus and he sent to Ephesus. And when you come, make sure you bring my coat. It must be cold. I left it there at Carpus in Troas. Also bring my books, my parchments, especially my papers. And then he says, watch out. Alexander the coppersmith, he did me much harm. Remember him in Ephesus, right? He's the one that was the silversmith that broke riots out. He was the one that was making profits from making all the uh, idols of Diana. The Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful. <clears throat> he fought against everything that, he, that we had said. So he is, again, marking people that are not being faithful. Everyone who's abandoned me, may it may not be counted against them. The Lord has stood with me that I might preach the good news in its entirety. And again, he's in this prison, and there's accounts in the historical records of him leading many to Christ in the prison. Then he goes and says, I know in verse 18, the Lord will deliver me from every evil. So I want you to see what a powerful, powerful book. And you see the, the purpose, the strategy behind reading that. You get the whole purpose in your battles because the battles, every one of us has got stuff that we're suffering through right now. All right, I want to shift uh, from that lessons learned from the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy. Next week, please read Titus, the only three chapters there. I want to look at uh, in now in your modules. Let's turn to module 10, which will be uh, page 10-1, the potential hindrances to healing. And you'll notice that both in healing and deliverance, there are things that happen. We're going we're gonna to fly through this because hopefully you have been reading along, marking up your book. It's, it's a really good idea to mark up your book and um, identify those things. I want you to see. But in summary, sometimes when we pray for healing and deliverance, there are delays, there are distractions, there's, it's a war. You've got to break through. So we'd like to look at what are some of the hindrances that we've experienced either in the mission field or here. Number one on that list is unforgiveness. Of all of my experience, that one's big. That's why we start out, you'll see in the destiny model, when we do Breaking Free, the destiny model, the first one on the list of the journaling that they do is, who do you need to forgive? Jesus said in Matthew 6, the Father will not forgive you if you do not forgive. Now that is riveting. So it's not whether you want to, it's not whether you feel like it. I'm sure Jesus hanging on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That he didn't feel like it at that moment. But he was God. He knew the principle. He modeled that for us. So we can choose. We can will to forgive. Doesn't mean you have to go out to dinner with them and hang out with them and give them Christmas cards. No. There are boundaries you have to put up. I'm not endorsing anything there that uh, abuse is abuse and needs to be dealt with. But there needs to be forgiveness. Unforgiveness will block. Resentment. These are sisters that run with this. Resentment, anger, bitterness. Maybe a need for inner healing. You've been so wounded. When we deal with people who have had, had been abused or raped or brokenness um, or had things stolen from them or innocence taken, there's deep, deep inner healing that's needed, and that's part of the forgiveness 
process. We're going to go in great detail about the curse, and if you remember um, what I dealt with in Priscilla on our first in my book, Breaking Free, if you'll remember, you can turn, you don't have to turn there now, but you can look it up, just make a jot there, what is a curse? Remember my first deliverance is on page 49 in the Breaking Free book, where Priscilla, when my wife prayed for her, she was crippled, she'd had eight surgeries, nothing happened. There was a Macumba curse that had been placed on her family, paid for by the neighbor next door, went to the Macumba witch, got an endorsement, placed a curse on Priscilla and the family, and she received that spirit of infirmity, that crippling, spirit of crippling that came upon her. And when that broke, when she forgave and we broke, she got not only delivered, but she got healed. First the deliverance came, and then that miraculous healing that just absolutely riveted myself and my wife and changed me forever. When I realized the power of that, I said, God, we're going to be in pursuit of this. Teach me more. Then we list on page 10.1 there also generational sin, generational blockages, past involvement in the occult. That's a big one. You saw that under uh, John Ramirez's testimony there that we saw. We're going to look at more, um, maybe a lack of desire for healing or don't believe in healing. You know, God doesn't heal today. That, that could be a major hindrance. Freemasonry. We're going to look at the occult spirits. In fact, depending on time today, I'd like to go into some real good detail. If you've been involved in anything of dealing with the, the occult, especially Freemasonry, Unto Death by Barbara Casada, or this is uh, Jack Harris's book, Freemasonry. This is a 33-degree mason at the highest level. He came out and he uh, uncovered this thing. It's an interesting read. There are many, many some that are listening by my, 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 my voice right now that if you've been involved, I have done prayer ministries on pastors and elders who have come out of Freemasonry. In fact, I had a pastor from another denomination come down. His denomination was not in, did not endorse Freemasonry, and yet he had elders on his board that were Freemasons. This is a, an apostasy I'm telling you right now, and I know that it can be offensive if you've been involved in that, but right now the blood of Jesus covers me and all of us in this, but we're going to uncover this principality in the name of Jesus. And I pray that truth would break through, that you would be in pursuit of asking God to show you this truth. We're going to deal with some more of that in, in more detail as time goes on. So you may have fear, unresolved guilt, disobedience, inner vows, um, the spirit that is behind that affliction of sickness and disease, we talked about that before. All right. Um, on page 10-2, we see that unforgiveness, and it, it goes into some details. This is an act of the will, which I've talked about. And there on the bottom of page 10-2, Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses... Neither will the Father forgive you your trespasses. I don't know how it gets any clearer than that. Woo. Please, God, help us. Even though we sometimes justify the hurt and the wounds, we're not justifying what they did. We're acting in Scripture at a higher level to forgive them for what they've done. We actually set ourselves free. Verse, uh, page 3, there's uh, I, that whole resentment, anger, bitterness, and rage in the middle of page 10.3. Those are the sisters that run with unforgiveness. We shared with this about in Ephesians, right, where he tells us don't let the sun go down on your, on your uh, unforgiveness. 
on your hurt, on your wounds, because it gives a strong foothold to the devil. If you, if you camp around your wound and that bitterness, you let that seethe in there, those sisters of unforgiveness, they actually become spiritual bondages. And so we just need to ask the Lord to help us with that one. And we'll, in prayer ministry, you'll see how when we do our journaling of, forg- of seeking after those to choose to forgive and then confessing the sin around that, right? Okay. Um, let's go to page 10.4. I want to get into the curses. What is a curse? It's an invocation, top of page 10.4. It's a curse or an invocation of evil. Someone speaks, spoken, written, intentional curse in a fit of rage or a quarrel. It's imposed. It can be done by an occult person like I shared with Priscilla's case in Brazil where the father went, the neighbor went and paid an occult witch to go and place this curse. But it also can be unintentional. Man, if we're not careful with the words that we say, um, these things where, you know, I, I never seem to ever be able to make it. I never have enough. Um, a parent who's trying to motivate. I think I shared this one time. I had a person I did prayer ministry on. Their father took them as a little boy, 10-year-old boy, up and showed them million-dollar mansions in California and said, what do you see, son? He said, man, I see beautiful homes. I'd like to have one of those. The father's, I'm sure it was a positive motive, but a really bad method. He said, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never have one of those. Now I'm dealing with a man who's in his late 40s. He still remembers that curse spoken over him by his father, and he carries that, I'll never amount to anything. I'll never have anything. That curse that's spoken, maybe with possibly good intentions, but really terrible method. And so be careful about words that are spoken. We know this says there's life and death in your tongue and you shall have what you say. Generational things. When we look at inherited diseases, diabetes, high blood pressure. When we look at family trees and we see what's there, and first we go into a doctor's office and what do we do? We document the history of our families. Just be careful. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that they're not factual. They are. But we're not standing under those. We can intentionally get out from under those things. Past involvement in the occult, page 10.5. Major, major blockage. Uh, we see, we'll, we're going to obviously get into a lot more of that. Page 10.5 uh, at the bottom. Freemason secret societies. I want you to see that uh, in the secret societies and Freemasonry, It is ungodly, it denies Christ, it's a compromise, and it's a trap, it's a deceiving spirit, and it brings terrible, terrible curses. In fact, if you trace back, Barbara Casada does this in in great detail in her book, she started to uncover when she would start to pray for people and find out they had masons in the family line, and they would uncover the types of diseases that were Kevin. They're actually invocations of curses that are given during the hierarchy of the Freemasonry rituals. So let me just take a moment. Let me read this to you. Uh, this is Freemasonry, the Invisible Cult, Jack Harris's book. You can order that online. But let me just, he was the highest, highest level. And uh, let me give you some of his testimony just quickly. Uh, he tells basically that this book deals with the Blue Lodge of Masons, first and second and third degree and its roots. Only the very basic essentials of the Blue Lodge degrees, degrees are covered. By no means uh, is, the, is it an exhaustive study of the cult of masonry, uh, Freemasonry. Scottish Rites or the York Rite Masons, uh, they're briefly mentioned. 
but the degrees rise and fall on the first degrees. They're all centered around the Blue Lodge. The Blue Lodge is the foundational, and it is the satanic roots. It stands to reason that the York and Scottish Rites degrees are along with branches from women and children. We're going to look at those. It says, the only pure form of masonry is the Blue Lodge and with the Royal Arc degree. All the other degrees are add-on degrees, but they're all under masonry and deception. Supreme power and authority of all the masons originates in the various Blue Lodges. I'll use the Word of God to expose the anti-Christian cult and damnable heresies and the teachings and doctrines that have been heaped upon the body of Christ through this occult. I believe that the humanistic teachings, now what's very deceptive about this, especially when you turn on, you take a look at the, um, the uh, Shriners Hospital, it breaks your heart when you see those kids on there, right? And I'm not denying that they do good works. But underlying that, remember what he said, be careful, Satan parades around like, a, like, a, like an angel of light. It looks good. But what's the underlying deception that's there? They do have good works, but it's based upon works. We know that salvation is not based on works. The ministry that sets forth in the masonry as a cult may appear both unusual for some and maybe distasteful, but it's important that he, he exposes it. He points out that the the, the, the cult is definitely and embraces teachings and practices that are wound in religious doctrine, but they're all contrary to established truth of biblical Christianity. The term Freemasonry encompasses a group under the direct influence. Now listen, if you've been involved with this or family members have been, such groups that include, and by no means in, is an exhaustive list, the Blue Lodge, Scottish Rites, York Rites, Job's Daughters, Rainbow Girls, Tall Cedars, Demoloi, Daughters of the Nile, Ancient Arabic Orders of the Noble Mystic Shrine, Square Clubs. To detail the complete fundamentals of the cult and its branches would encompass many volumes. Many objectives. Some of you may be listening saying, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. In fact, the first time this 33rd degree out of the Blue Lodge heard it, he, he got angry. That spirit started to rise up in him. Just pursue truth. Hear me out. Just pursue truth. Many objections may arise to this book and types of it, and many Christians have committed uh, through initiation into Freemasonry. However, if a person is truly sincere in seeking truth, he will find the words that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. His personal testimony. The reasons for me deciding to seek membership, he was struggling financially. His brother told him about it. He was intrigued by the mystery, the intrigue, and the secrecy that was involved. And in fact, many in his church, along with his minister, were masons. So he got involved in the lodge. He grew, went through the whole process. Three of the lodge members visited him. They, they vetted him. They, um, they vote to accept him. In, 19, uh, in, in that time, he was petitioned and accepted in the royal ark of the chapter of the Masons, the royal and select masters or council, and the Knights Templar, or commandary shortly encountered, and then the shrine. Following seven years in the progression of the offices called the chairs, I was installed as the, the worshipful master of the lodge. This was done only after ex completing exhaustive memory work, being examined, elected, and my installation as the worshipful master of the Baltimore Lodge took place. 
During the process of moving through the various chairs, offices, God opened my eyes to the deceptions. And the first thing that happened is one evening following the meeting, the chaplain of the lodge closed with a phrase, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. An objection was given at that closing. Universally <clears throat> using <clears throat> the quotation, <clears throat> excuse me, from their blue book, and it was, I was shocked by the objection of using the name of Jesus. We're told in the, in the scriptures, pray in the name of Jesus, right? I always thought that whatever God <clears throat> was worshipped and reverenced, that we could pray in his name. The second indication of this deception surfaced when I was installed as the worshipful master. By appointment, I visited the Grand Lodge of Maryland, and I, was re I requested a Christian flag be placed at my chair in the lodge room. The Grand Master refused. Such flag would offend our Jewish and Muslim and Hindu members. This incident was upsetting, and my faith was starting to fade. He very vigorously opposed it. You can go and look at history. Why do people like D.L. Moody, Charles Finney, Tory, Barnhouse, Rice, they were absolutely opposed to Freemasonry. So study it, look at it, take a look at more. Um, you know that statement, once a Mason, always a Mason? Freemasonry is one of Satan's master deceptions. It has infiltrated the church and it does not edify Christ as the only deity. Deals with temples, you'll see the parallel. They, they choose to be the temple, the Mason temple. Doesn't that sound like Second, First Peter chapter 2? Know you not that you are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a stones, living stones as the temple of God. Again, the counterfeit is so amazing when you get into it. I don't have time to go into all of it, but I would encourage you, if you are involved or you've been involved in masonry and you have not broken that from your family line, you need to do it. I had a grandfather who was a mason. You need to do it. You can start to trace some of the potential curses that may be flowing through your family. And in the book, we deal with that both in here, but in great detail in these books as well. All right, let me move, let me move forward. Um, there are, in page 10.6, I've covered uh, at the top of that page, 10.6, some of the terrible curses and violations that come with these oaths from Freemasonry. Various kinds, not only individuals, but the whole family. Freemasonry is present in family. A person may have difficulty receiving healing. And so you can look at these and we'll go into some more detail. Um, look at page 10.7. Again, we just deal with some of the hindrances that are there. Fear, unresolved guilt. Uh, if you are in rebellion, if you are in willful sin, that can block. In fact, We've had people that will come to a meeting, they'll get healed, and they'll go back into their sin, open the door to fear, start believing. We had one, um, one of our ladies came here, Marlene Baskers, not, she's given our, her testimony in the past. She'd come in, she was paralyzed on one side on a Wednesday morning, came in, she received prayer, she got healed, amazing, but she had a friend with her <clears throat> who was struggling with cancer. She also got healed, but then she spent the next year trying to find a doctor who would validate she had cancer. And that woman died of cancer. So we have to be careful. When we walk in this place, we need to break inner vows, 
cut any ungodly soul ties. You'll see that on page 10.8. All this, the reason I'm laying these foundations, when we get to the destiny model that you will follow in doing prayer ministry and inner healing deliverance for someone, these are steps and they'll start to make sense as to why they're foundational. Ungodly soul ties. If you've had relationships emotionally, spiritually, or physically outside of marriage or in connection, if you've been under occult practices, you need to break and sever those. So let's see. Let me, uh, example there on page 10.8, um, sometimes physical things happen. If you remember in, um, in my description, in my book under Anna Paula, there's this, um, I think that's on page, let's see here. Well, we, we, we covered this. This was where Anna Paula, who had been a prostitute, we were in, um, we were in Belém, Brazil, and uh, this woman was a prostitute. She was actually working the 20,000 crowd that we had outside the stadium, and she wasn't getting much business, praise God. And so she came into the healing tent, and Randy Clark and Clarice, his interpreter, when she came and says, I have stomach issues. And so she, she, they, they led her to, to receive Christ, and they laid hands on her. She hits the ground, and she starts vomiting red blood. And I was told by Clarice, this is like, Randy's saying, oh my goodness, I would have dialed 911 if they had it. And Clarice said, no, 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 I've seen this. She's eaten food that's been dedicated to Macumba, and it has cursed her stomach. And this reaction right now, so Clarice shut it down, took authority over it, and instantly all of that vomiting blood stopped. She comes to the tent, and we needed to deal with that night. You could read that story about Anna Paula in the book. And so I want you to see that that was a spirit of infirmity that had landed as a result of that dedication of food to idols being eaten, had cursed actually. We've seen that also, female organs. I've had some experience with people who involved involved in uh, immorality and opened those doors. They actually, their organs, their sexual organs have been cursed. And there's there's tumors and stuff that needs to be broken off. And so I remember... My professor, I was in college my, during my theology degree, he was dealing, one of the courses we took early on was on deliverance. And he said as a pastor, he had been, this woman had been trying to sell a piece of property for years and no one would buy it, never even get an offer. She got frustrated and she went to a pastor. He went to the land and he walked through the woods of the whole property and he found a Buddha buried in the backside of the property. He said, what is this? He goes, I don't know. So they dug it up, got rid of it, broke it. Within a few weeks, my recollection is that property sold. So again, these are things that we, we need to open our eyes to what are these curses? What are these things that are both conditional and unconditional curses? Look at page um, 11, 11.1, what is a curse? goes through the definition of that. We'll look at the different types. There's general curses, and there are specific curses. You see that on the bottom? They're both conditional and unconditional. I'll give lots of examples of these scripturally. Hopefully you've read these. And, of course, we talked about the Masonic and Satanic occult practices. Um, Let's turn to page 11.4. I want you to read through these intentional, self-imposed things that you say that you shouldn't say. Renounce those. Deal with that. Um, let me quickly cover this one. Uh, this one is on page 105 in my book. There's a detail of what are some of the effects of a curse. 
This one with her name, I, I changed her name, but her name's Trisha in the book on page 105 of Breaking Free. This one, we were in England, uh, in Manchester, and this woman, Randy Clark, was, was teaching, preaching. We were there. We were the ministry team. And this woman came up front for prayer. She had just gone through. She had just got her hair back. She had had a double mastectomy. She'd had chemotherapy. She'd had the surgery. She had breast cancer. Um, her life was a mess. And one of my prayer ministry leads there, one of our team members, Pat, at that time, was started to pray for her. And the woman instantly curled up and made this uh, demonic configuration in her face. Pat knew what that was, called me over. I saw it. I said, okay. We did an interview. Remember, back to the interview process of both the healing model, and you'll see this in the deliverance model. We asked Trisha, I said, tell me a little bit about your story. She started to unpack the story. We said, look, why don't you come back recognizing this is going to be rather uh, involved can you come early before service tomorrow, like three or four hours before, and we'll do a prayer ministry? And uh, I have recounted that in my book on 105. But in essence, what it was is she was a Christian for a long time. She had some sins that she had never confessed to anyone. James 5 says, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed, right? It's different than 1 John 1, 9. Confess your sins to him. He's faithful to forgive you. We'll deal with that in more detail when we get to the model. But so there's this, she had not confessed some things. Actually, an abortion she had had, she didn't confess that. That came out as a word of knowledge to one of my first-timers in the ministry team uh, deliverance there. Um, kind of graphically doubled over in pain and said, oh, ask her about the abortion she had. She said, I've never told anybody about that. Dealt with that issue. Dealt with some of the immorality. Come to find out that the way this door opened... There were those things that were doors that were there. But then she had been sharing at a Christmas Eve service, and a Wiccan group came to curse the church. So in Manchester, there are a number of Wiccans that come. They infiltrate the churches. They're cursing pastors and their families to die and the leadership there. So she's reading the Christmas story on Christmas Eve with two churches. And in the midst of that, she starts to feel sick to her stomach. She goes home. She's still sick at night. She wakes up in the morning, she steps outside her front door, and there's a cassette tape completely strung around her entire house. And I said, well, what was that? She goes, those are curses from the Wiccans. They followed me home. They must have been in the crowd. They cursed me. I said, well, what would you do with that? She goes, I threw it away. I said, well, she said, my life had fallen apart. My husband, he won a, a coffee pool at work, and they bought him a prostitute. I was so angry. My mother was so angry. I went to, on a turkey vacation with my mother alone. She told me to go out with a man. I had an affair. My life fell apart. My children have been arrested. We're just a mess. I've gotten breast cancer. Um, my life is a mess. <clears throat> you read the account of that, how God set her free. What an amazing testimony. And I didn't know at the end after we had prayed and the demon identified themselves and left and she was filled with joy. Because of the surgery from the breast cancer, she couldn't raise her arms above that. We didn't know that. She didn't share that. But her, during our time of celebration of freedom, she raises her arms. She goes, I just got healed. So it's an it's amazing testimony of the power of curses that are not dealt with. <clears throat> You'll see that also when I deal with Sally's story. Please read on page 89. She was a woman, a doctorate degree nursing uh, person in our 
in our uh, church who had gone through it. That's a rather graphic uh, experience there. Read Sally's story on page 89, and you'll see that that was an unconfessed um, witchcraft. She had, she had confessed it. She had not renounced it. And her mother was a medium psychic um, a, uh, w- from another country, and she had participated as a Christian. She and her mother had participated in going to these uh, occult ceremonies. And a demon had attached itself, and it was trying to destroy Sally. And you'll see an amazing word of knowledge that we taught last week, a word of knowledge that both Pat and I had at that moment set her free. And it was amazing. It was dramatic, but it was amazing. I love to see God show up in power like that. Okay, let's move on. Um, on page um, 11.5 and 11.6, you'll see that some of these things that come out, the, the origins of these curses, by your own words, by a parent, by participation, by uh, rebellion, by continuing to walk in the, the sin patterns, right? Uh, on page 7 and 8, <clears throat> We deal with more with the secret societies, some of the vows that are there, and how they bring curses. And so we just want to encourage you, if you look at the top of page 8, you'll see some of the issues that come out of uh, the curses from the vows that are taken during the Freemason ceremonies. Incurable diseases, illnesses, divorces, accidents, premature deaths. Um, One of the rituals that... that, um, Barbara Casada deals with in Unto Death is this difficulty for breathing associated with that. There's a noose that's put around your neck. If you tell any parts of the secret of that society, then this will come upon you and your legacy family. It's just demonic. It's ugly. All right, turn page nine. Um, We deal with um, how can you recognize if a person is under a curse? Well, one is the interview process. We just dealt with that. Um, let me deal with one more deliverance. This is uh, dealt with um, Janilda. She was um, in my book. I deal with this one. This is on page 125, Janilda's testimony. <clears throat> Quickly on this one. This one deals with how does a, the legacy of sin or the sins of the father visit to the third and fourth generation. And so we see here, um, this is an interesting whole teaching. I may preach on this in a few weeks. But it's, in this case, we had a 14-year-old girl. We were in uh, the largest evangelical church in Madrid, Patel Ministries. Uh, my great friend there, um, Elliot Tepper, invited us in. We were doing prayer ministry on 250 of his key leaders. And we were doing, that night, worship started. Well, this mother who was part of the ministry team at the church in Spain, um, she'd been a Christian about seven years. And you can read that story in the book uh, on that page. And uh, I told you that's on page 125. You can get the details of it. But in essence, let me give you this. The mother kind of dragged her 14-year-old daughter. The daughter had been manifesting in such crazy things at home. She drags her to church. And in the midst of our worship, we hadn't even started teaching or anything. In the midst of the high praise and worship, the 14-year-old girl hits the ground. She's manifesting. She's pulling her hair, banging her head against the floor. The mom's crying. We get diverted over there. Myself and several of my team members escort her out during the worship, get to a private room. The mother's acting as our translator. And we're dealing, we realize that she's now under the, you know, she's above the age of reason. She's 14. She's one of her own free moral agents at that point. 
But the mother's there, and there's, we're starting to pray, and we're not having any breakthrough. The woman, the young girl, is still in this almost catatonic state, not answering, not even there, just out. Eyeballs rolled back, and uh, the mother's crying. So I finally said, oh, wait a minute. I need to find out what's authorizing us not having authority here. So I took the mother aside. The mother informed me that her, she was born out of wedlock. Janilda was born out of wedlock. Her, Janilda's father and her, uh, the grandfather, had pressed both the mother and Janilda into, uh, I'm sorry, not Janilda, had pressed the, the mother into prostitution. She'd been involved. The grandmother was into witchcraft. So I said, are you willing to renounce? She says, I've confessed this. I said, are you willing to renounce that? Forgive your father. Forgive the, uh, the father of Janilda. Forgive the grandfather and break this. She, we went through a very rapid uh, renouncing, confessing. I went back and there was instant response. At that moment, the 14-year-old girl, as soon as we started, she started to cry. We took authority over that. We broke that offer. It was, it was a glorious, glorious moment. It actually didn't take all that long. It was less than an hour. Uh, at the end of that, my, my friend, Papa Phil, who's in heaven, I praise listening right now, the great cloud of witnesses, he had this big heart. He realized he leads her to the Lord, the little 14-year-old girl. There's this joy that comes all over us. He had this gigantic heart. And uh, he ends up slipping her a $20, $20 U.S. bill, which, you know, he didn't recommend you do. But he says, hey, this is your birthday. This is your spiritual birthday. Go and buy something you want. And, man, it was just one of these glorious moments. But I want you to see there was a blockage that had impacted even the next generation. This little girl was under. And God, um, I don't have time to unpack this now, but let me just give you, you can look this up. There are three Hebrew words that are dealt with here uh, in this Exodus 34. You see the top of page 11.9 where it talks about sin, transgressions, and iniquities. Those are three very different specific Hebrew words. It's important that we understand the difference. Let me quickly, the Hebrew word for sin is shata, C-H-A-T-T-A-A. It means miss the mark. So you commit sin, you've missed the mark. But there's another level, and this is the depths of this. Pesha, P-E-S-H-A, is transgression. That's the willful sin of rebellion. Right, when you sin, you've rebelled. But when you willfully rebel, there's this, I, am, I, I know the truth, but I'm not doing the truth. I'm going to continue to do what I want to do, and I don't care what God's Word says. That's rebellion, right? That's a level of transgression that is deeper than sin. But the worst of all is the iniquity. Iniquity means twisted character. It's the Hebrew word awan, A-W-O-N. That iniquity means you have so far gone down missing the mark of willful rebellion, you have now become a twisted, rebellious character. It is the essence of sin. That's why when he, you look at the top of that page, Exodus 34, it says that, let me read all, and the Lord passed from him and proclaimed the Lord God is merciful, he's gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving one, iniquity, forgiving transgression, and forgiving sin. But by no means, clearly the guilty, visiting the iniquity, the twisted character of the rebellious fathers upon the third and fourth generation. In fact, it goes on, it says in 
Exodus 20, verse 5, where it talks of the, the blessing to a thousand generations, but I will curse to, th- to three or four generations those who hate me. That's iniquity. So there's a, there's a depth of this thing. The devil has visitation rights to the iniquitous, those who are twisted in their character, who hate God. That consequence comes on families. You've got to be the man or woman that stands up. And that's why when we deal with this as soldiers of the cross, and we get, I'm getting zapped right now, God, thank you. Holy Spirit likes this. When you take back the ground and when you stand there and you tell them to renounce the iniquity of the fathers, something powerful shifts. And they come under the blessing of a thousand generations. The man or woman of peace now enters the family. That's just powerful. And so, all right, I'm running out of time. Let's, uh, in 1110, it deals again with some of the observations that you can deal with. You can look at uh, page 49 in the book and deal with, on that page there, about uh, Priscilla, that demonic spirit that was present that had a crippling and a, a spirit of infirmity. Then we deal with an 1111. How do you break the curse? And you read through that. It's First of all, um, we know that Christ, in the middle of page 1111 there, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse. It's by Christ and Him alone, right? Having become curse for us, in fact, it's written, curse is anyone who hangs on a tree. The blessing that Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Right? So Jesus became this curse. So it's by Him. Well, how do you do it? I listed there. First is repentance. Repent from the rebellious sin. Repent for your forefathers and foremothers. This will, again, make sense in the model. Ask for, claim forgiveness for those sins. Forgive anyone who's brought injury. And then you've got to renounce it. You've got to renounce it. On that page 89 in Sally's account in my book, when Sally, first of all, it was a word of knowledge that was given to me and to Pat at that time. Remember the black seeds and the burlap bag Pat saw? And then I heard in my spirit man, generational witchcraft. Sally wasn't even going to bring that up in her test. She had confessed it, that she'd been to a, a, a ceremony of the occult practices with her mother. She thought she'd been totally forgiven, and she was. I believe she confessed that. However, that thing still had authorization until she had confessed it. James, remember what James 5 says, confess your sins. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. Confessing your sins one to another that you might be saved, healed, and delivered. When she renounced that thing, that thing jumped. It got pretty dramatic. You can read it in the book there on page 89. All right. So there's how do we break curses? 11, 12, uh, you see that. Um, And then 11, 13, breaking a self-imposed curse. If you've cursed yourself, or you've made a contract. I've had people that says, I made a contract with the devil. Well, you better renounce that. Um, we need to deal with that. These vows made in secret societies. You need to, to break that. Often I'll ask when they've told me I've been to a medium or a psychic or I've had a, a reading or I've had a Ouija board. I say, well, do you remember what the psychic, or the, what was the word that was given? Sometimes people remember, sometimes they don't. But when they have remembered, that thing has been empowered, and oftentimes it's the root of the curse. We've got to break that. Remember one lady had a Ouija board printed out the name of the man she was going to marry. And so this is before she was a Christian. That name later, she meets this guy. Turns out he's a bisexual abuser. He ends up leaving her for another man. And so that definitely was a curse imparted, but that word that was given had been powered, and she acted on that name. Very sadly. 
So we also see, watch out, what's, whatever's in your house. You've got amulets, mementos, swords, um, rings, any of the Masonic, any of the occult stuff. Get rid of it. Destroy it. Throw it away. Burn it. One of my friends, uh, his father was a lead mason. In fact, his family line was a lead mason. He had this emblem hanging in his house. It had been, I think it was said it was several hundred years old. He took that out, burned it, burned it, burned it. Tried burning it. <laughs> Wouldn't burn. And then, anyway, get rid of that stuff. Destroy it. Make a, make a ceremony of. Um, I remember a guy who had been hooked on, he was really psychologically and probably physically hooked on marijuana. He said when he got free of his drugs, he took his bong, he took it out. I'm just reporting. It's not pretty. He broke that thing to a million pieces, and then he went out, and he physically peed on it. He says, I'm just defiling this thing. I don't want anything to do with it. Well, I don't know how that works, but hey, it, it, it certainly was a severing of, I'm not doing this stuff. I'm defiling it. I want nothing to do with this. Okay, on page 1115 and 1116, again, we're dealing with, these go into more detail on the Freemasonry, and then you'll see how uh, what happens in that process. And then it finishes on 1117. Um, so we have dealt with tonight the lessons from Timothy. We've looked at the potential hindrances to healing, module 10, the curses out of module 11. And then we've given a warning. Let me pray for us as we finish. So tonight, um, remember your homework for this week. If you continue to read, finish reading. If you can, get to the place we're going to want you to get up to the place where we're at the destiny model in the Breaking Free book, my book. Um, and then we want to pick up next week. We'll be in Module 12. We're going to spend uh, at least that whole week in Module 12, which is on deliverance. We're going to start teaching the model. So I need you to get to the place. If you can read through the destiny model part of that, or finish reading the Breaking Free book and doing Module 12 and then reading the book of Titus. Just light reading, but, you know, we're home and got things and opportunities set. Forget the movies and dig into this stuff. It's, we're getting ready to sharpen your skills for war. We're going to now release you into what is, what is it one day when I'm standing in the presence of demonic presence? What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? And I believe you're going to be invigorated, excited, and I, at least it happens when people have seen the enemy and defeated him through the power and the blood of Jesus. So let me pray right now. Lord, I thank you for all those that have been listening, those that will tune in at, at any time later. Right now, I plead the blood of Jesus. It says <clears throat> that in, in Psalm 91, we've been declaring that all throughout this time, that we live under the sheltered place of the Most High. It says that those who live in that place would find rest under the shadow of the Almighty. There's, there's peace there. It also goes on and it says, we may see a thousand dying to the left, 10,000 to the right, but none of these evils, evils, will befall our dwelling place. That you go before us and you spring the snare of the fowler. Any trap that the enemy, that's, that's Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 through 7. Those who are in covenant relationships shall be blessed in their homes, their villages, their flocks. And verse 7 of Deuteronomy 28 says, and when the enemy comes against you one way, he's going to come. But when he comes, he's going to run seven ways. 
Get out, devil. Get away from these people. We plead the blood covering over their families, their loved ones, their possessions, everything they call near and dear. We declare a Revelation 12 promise that we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and we shall see him defeated in the mighty name of Jesus. We implore that Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, that in no way the enemy has no authority. I've been given power and authority over the enemy. We can walk among the snakes and the scorpions and crush them. So I pray a blood covering, a hedge of protection around everyone, the church, their families, their extended families, their possessions. Wherever the devil tries, he is totally powerless. Let the report go up the chain of his command. We have no authority over them. They're too close to Christ. They're under the blood covering. They're marked in the blood. We can't touch them. And we thank you, Father, for that authority and that assurance in the mighty name of Jesus. God bless you. Peace. Amen. Have a good night.